0: Hi, it's all early this week, but I'm taking advantage of uh, moment snatching here and there. I'll try to do the side the thing today. Um, I looked in the calendar and the name that jumped out at me uh, one of these days is we have the yardside of the Rivoche, who I don't think is so well known, or they should be, and I've always been interested in him, and so I'll devote a few words in today's talk to this person. The Rivosh, again, I realize I use these acronyms, it doesn't mean anything to anybody, but Isaac Ben-Shashas from Spain in the 1300s, We're 14th century. Uh, I said time of the Rishonim, or maybe the Akronim. You see, when you get to these math and science types who like to classify everybody, who's a tanos and an Amora, who's a Gon, and all that, you ask the following question, who's a Rishon and who's after the Rishonim? Uh, it doesn't really matter, but, uh, I mean, it matters in a broad sense. The Rishonim is bigger than the but when you get to these people in the middle, like, this, do you, does the Rishonim end in the 1200s, in which case all the people gonna talking about today would be considered early Achornim? or does it end in the 1400s, which is my personal opinion, and for all these people, the Rishonim. Anyway, we're talking about some big people over here, and you'll hear from the names I mentioned today. So, the name of this person is Yitzhak ben Shechas, uh, prefect, perfect, to be exact. Uh, which means a prefect, you know, prefect is a kind of governor, like from the Romans, prefect. And, uh, I mean, I'm sure you know Jews named Koenig or King or Herzog or Duke or things like that. So Jews in, in Spain also, cause he's from Spain, has such names, prefect. And in Hebrew it's something, Barfos, if people spell it wrong, but that's what it is. And here we deal with a very interesting phenomenon of the Jews of Aragon or Catalonia. See, you say Spain and Sephardim and all the Sephardim are alike. That's a certain racism. Uh, just like all the Europeans aren't alike, all the Sephardim are alike. Spain itself, to this day, has at least two areas that are not identical and they don't necessarily even like each other. And one is called Castile and one's called Aragon. It's just in the 1400s. The Queen of Castile married the King of Aragon, and their children afterwards were able to force both groups to be in one kingdom. That's what they call Spain. But if you go back before the 1400s, or up to 1492, shall we say, these are two distinct areas. And Spain is a peninsula, I'm sure you know. And even today, you got Portugal, which is not part of Spain. But the Spain part used to have a lot of different provinces, which are very different from one another. And little by little, they were united by wars and conquests over the course of many centuries in the Middle Ages. Uh, Asturias, Leon, uh, Castile, uh, Navarre, whatever. Don't have to bore you with all the names. Now, the only reason I'm making a big deal out of this is there was a distinct Jewry, a Jewish community, in the late Middle Ages, 12, 13, 1400s, in this area Catalonia, or Aragon. And I'm talking about the... Um, let's see now the eastern part of Spain, the, the part that faces the, the Mediterranean, the part of, the part that faces Israel. And uh, here you have the great communities of Barcelona and Saragossa and Valencia. If you know any of these names and 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 similar thing, places, and Girona, which is small. And here, in the 1200s, the 1300s, and 1400s, emerged one of the most important Jewish communities ever in Jewish history in terms of its impact on Jewish culture, particularly on Torah culture. Isn't that interesting? I'm not talking about the rest of Spain. That's uh, another story. I'm talking about this particular part, the uh, western provinces. I'm sorry, the eastern provinces uh, of what you call Spain today. Uh, Even some of you, if you go on trips, you know, you can either do a trip of Spain, in which you do the southern part, like I did once with Madrid and Granada and all that, or there's a totally different trip called Barcelona, And uh, Girona and that sort of thing, that's what a lot of people do if they take these um, cruises and things of that nature. And they're not simply different parts of Spain, but they're distinct cultures. And it's a different Spanish, okay? The regular normative Spanish is the Castilian, from the central part of Spain. And these guys have a very different accent. It's almost like another language sometimes. And that's where all the famous Sephardic Gedolam that you and I have heard of lived. That's interesting what I just said. Not all, but for the most part. So who are the big people in this area of Catalonia, in this area called the Kingdom of Aragon? Well, let's check this out. You got your Ramah, the Dramban, the Deritva, the the uh Derivash, uh oh, you, you see what I'm doing? I'm, I'm listing of all the Yeshiv Shines. So And they all lived in one particular area of Spain for most of the time. So it must have been something epic. And that's why I find this story very interesting. Because this person... The Riva Yitzhak and was probably the last, I would call him, of the Rishonim in Aragon, before the Holocaust hit, of 1391, as we shall see. And uh, here you had a very unique and distinct culture emerge. This is the Spain of the second half of the Middle Ages, meaning not the Spain where the Muslims were there. That's the Moorish Spain. That ended in the early 1100s when the Taliban took over, and that was the end of tolerating any Jewish... Pro- Presence in the Muslim parts of Spain But the Christian parts of Spain I'm talking about the Catholics now The Christians right? St- kept on having Jewish communities down to 1492 When they were expelled And that means Castile and Aragon So these are areas of Christian uh, Spaniards uh, Castilians and Aragonese And There's always a lot of wars and stuff going on all the time And they're very important Jewish communities over there Gashmias-wise and Ruchnias-wise. The two are not identical. Gashmias-wise, the uh, communities, I'm going to concentrate on Aragon, as they said today. Here, uh, starting from the 1200 the time of the Ramban, and after uh, the kings were always involved in wars and expansion, they doubled the kingdom and all that, they, they fought successfully against the Muslims and conquered territory, and they needed the kind of skills that Jews were in a unique position to offer. For example, they needed people with Arabic language skills. The Jews had come a generation or two before from the Muslim parts. And, you know, like we have now, the old Hungarian Jews in Bar Park still speak Hungarian, and the old Yeke still speak German, and a lot of, obviously, people still speak Yiddish if they're still left over from the old days, from the old country. Same thing in those days. If you lived in the twelve and 1300s, and 1400s even, in, in, in Christian Spain, even though the guy around you, the Spaniards, spoke Spanish, Castilian and Aragonese, which are European languages. The Jews, in addition to picking up those languages, spoke two languages. First of all, they all knew Arabic, because their Bubby and Zadie and great-grandfather knew Arabic for Duri Deris, because they used to live under the Arabs, even though now they no longer do. So the cultivation of the Arabic language was something you found in Jewish communities. And number two, they also spoke Ju- Judeo-Arabic, in other words, the Arabic Yiddish, which was a unique Ju- Jewish dialect. And so the Jews in Aragon, let's say, would be multilingual. And if you're the king of Spain, for example, or one of his generals, and you need help negotiating with the Arabs plus or minus or this and the other, or signing treaties with them, commercial treaties or diplomatic treaties, you'll find Jews who have the language skills that others don't have. In addition to that, the Jews were very important in commerce and business. They brought in a ton of business into the kingdom. In addition to that, the Jews often had skills. This will surprise you. Uh, Skills of the industry of the Middle Ages, which was making weapons. Jews were famous for that sort of thing. And consequently, uh, because of these uh, skills, also, by the way, taxes, IRS, uh, finances, Treasury Secretary, that's why the kings of Aragon uh, always had Jews in extremely important positions in the royal court, which is almost unique in Christian Middle Ages. It's unthinkable in Germany, France, England, Italy, places like that. But in Spain, in the 12th, 1300s, and even into the 1400s, it's it's not unthinkable. You would find it. I think you don't need me to tell you that the Abarbanel, uh, who was there already in the time of 1492, was the head of the IRS for um, the Queen Isabella in Castile. So I'm just telling you, Spain is unusual in this regard. As a result, you had a whole class of richy-riches in Barcelona and Valencia and all these other communities, and that's the Gashmias elite. And since they're loaded and they're living in Spain they have a lot to do with the Gaiam, these guys are always not-so-religious. of a left-wingers, and you never know with the chicken and the egg. Is it their desire for luxury that led them to pursue an open orthodoxy? Or was there a desire for open orthodoxy that naturally led them to live a more Khal lifestyle? This is debated among the historians, uh, which need not concern you. But if you were living in Barcelona, these other places, you definitely have a rich and powerful left-wing element in your community. Now, here's the interesting thing. At the same time, you also have a ruchniyestika elite. Uh, t- um, our hero, uh, Yitzhak Menchachis, was born and lived a good part of his life in Barcelona. Barcelona is one of the most important communities in Europe. Still is. And Jewish-wise, it definitely was. Who was uh, in Barcelona? Well, the Ramban lived nearby. The Rajwa lived his whole life in Barcelona. Had the yeshiva there. The ritva also. Uh, who else? The, the ritva student, the Ron. Uh And there's some other people that you probably never heard of. So, Yitzhak who who's born in the 1320s and lived all through the 1300s in uh, in that part of the world, was a Barcelona boy. But he wasn't from the Dashmiastic elite, he was from the Ruchniastic elite. And in Barcelona, you had the very of Yeshiva. Uh, he was a student of the Ron. Uh, you've heard of the Ron, obviously. Uh, the Ron wasn't the only big Tamakah from there. The Ron brought in a big Magashir from outside, just like. You know uh who'd they bring a Ralumhaman from the to 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 uh turbidaz? you know that kind of thing you bring in somebody from the uh, from the old country who's a big Magachir, uh, who's like a god also uh Duran brought in a a parrotzsman you probably never heard of him, but he was a big uh Rashiva way back in the day and here's this boy growing up in Barcelona as I say before, from the Ruch elite as opposed to the Dick elite Duran was the Rosh Hashiva, and the rabbi, so it in Ravina Paris. Uh we, we know that the how as I put it? He tried to give Musser to the richy-riches that they're not running themselves properly all the rest of it, but it was uh, a to- contemptuously rejected. You know, Musser is a hard thing to do. Gotta be a, like a shidduch, the right guy, the right the, the, the mood, you know. So, the left went its way and the right went its way, let's put it that way. And Here's this guy growing up. He's born in 1326, so there's the 1340s uh, and all that. He's already uh, like the best guy in yeshiva and that sort of thing. I would point out something that will perhaps shock you. In the yeshiva in Barcelona, it's like, why you? They had Limudic Chol together with the Limudic kodesh, specifically the study of philosophy, which is a wide term that embraced uh, many secular studies. Uh, why they had that is a whole debate, but I'll leave that aside. But it's, quote-unquote, an open-minded uh, kind of place in the sense of, that's the wrong word, broad in the sense of its curriculum. Although, obviously, 99% was Gamar, Gamar, Gamar. There's no question about it. But still, the 1% or the 2% or 3% was the Nechol, which is kind of interesting. At the same time, there's also flourishing side by side with this kind of open, relative openness to secular studies, a lot of Kabbalistic. Uh, stuff going on in this, or, 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 or parrots, and there others, you know, they, you know, one one develops along the side of the other. It's like in America today, actually, to some degree. You have, you know, you guys are into college, and they also have people into, uh, you know, Kabbalah, or Hasidus, that sort of thing. So I'm just saying, the Riva it's grew up in a very, very interesting intellectual environment from the Jewish, from the Torah point of view. Already from a young age, it's pretty clear that he was hot stuff, and uh, he started to get shot, and and he has a natia to pesach You know what I'm saying? Some guys are into, uh, you know, pure lamedus like the briskers and all that, and some are into halachah and some have a talent for it and a natural take for it. And it's clear that Yismon Sheshi from a young age, I would say in his late 20s, was already offered to be a dayan, and he's he's answering shalosh from far and near, and this became his like career for the rest of his life. See, he was a dying and a and, and Shubh's writer. Uh, now, what's interesting is, as I told you, there are two elites. Obviously, the religious elite must have done something to rub the wrong way the gosh-mystic elite. They probably told him, you're too left-wing, you're too Kal, you're shah, But Such things happen. You don't believe in God, really, because they use philosophy to, you know, cover many sins and all the kind of business. And the bad feelings got out of hand. So, the, so, just like I told you, last, we could the left wingers were malshin to the government uh, that the big rabbis, the, including the Rivosh and Iran and Chazda Kreskes, who was a big person I can't talk about now, and some others, they're all thrown in jail. They're supposed to be killed. Now, it's unbelievable that Jews would do the others. No, it's not unbelievable. It's part of Jewish history. You understand? Know These things happen from time to time. To so this day, we don't know exactly what happened. All we know is they were thrown into jail for five months until the royal authorities ascertained there was just Malshinis. That was a big lie. The guy found out there was just the it was just the, uh, gosh mystic elite trying to stick it to the rook elite by playing hardball. This is Jewish history. And so when, the Ron got, when when he got out of jail, <laughs> let's put it this way, I don't think he was so happy with uh, the type of situation. Let's put it this way, I don't know if Barcelona is such a welcoming environment anymore. Perhaps I should I should say that. And uh, as a result, he says, I'm out of here. And he, the revosh, I'm talking about Yusuf and Sheysha, says, I'm going to another community, Saragossa. And uh, he, he was there for a number of years, I think a, a decade or so. And Saragossa is not far. You can look on the map. It's a very well-known place in Spain. Again, in Aragon, in northeastern Spain. And uh, they're also at Bad mazel. A lot of Ishala's in Saragossa, show you that the Balabasan were dumb bells, amarats, and deraisa. Uh, I can't go into it all now. Otherwise, it'll take me an hour. Derivash, I could talk for three hours just like that. So I gotta watch myself. Uh, but if you ever have the opportunity to uh, Google or read Derivash or, you know, Eisenman you'll find some of these shows are extremely interesting and show you the big gap between what the public knows and what the din is. Uh, and he was there, and he had bad muzzle. His kids died, and, and I forget, his mother or something died. It was a, he didn't have such a great time. And so the result is that he ended up, um, let's put it this way, getting the into fights. I don't know what the Gashmi elite over there, but with the Hamunam, there was a bunch of big Amratsim and uh, they didn't like he, if, by their standards, he was super machmer, even though he's not. If you read the Shubhas, he's not super machmer, but by their standards, he was. And the things reached the point where he says, "The heck with I'm out of here." He went to a small town, Calle-Tahub, Uh and uh, he was there. And then he moved. Finally, if he can't make it in Barcelona, he can't make it in Saragossa. There's the third big community on the shore, I mean, on the on the Mediterranean. That's Valencia, which is to the south of the kingdom. And he moved over there, I would say, for next uh, 13 years or so. Uh And again, Valencia. He made his own yeshiva, and he was recognized by the government, by the crown, by the, the king and the queen of a- of Aragon as the number one Jewish scholar. Listen to what I'm going to tell you. He was recognized by the government as a one man Jewish Supreme Court, which means he's the court of appeals. If you live in the kingdom of Aragon and you don't like what your local basin did because you think they cheated you or they got this wrong, all the rest of it, the king or the queen then says, well, you can appeal to this guy. Uh, Isaac Ben Sheshed, who's now in Valencia, and I will abide, I the king, I the queen, will abide by whatever he says. Because I know he's honest, and I know he's a thoroughly, uh, 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 the biggest scholar of Jewish law, and uh, he's got the, the final word on the subject. Isn't that interesting? We even have records where the Ron and him, when they was younger, were, were given by the king a job to adjudicate a Jewish Yerusha case, which was very complicated. So here you have the interesting thing, where sometimes Rabbonim, were able to attain such a reputation, such a reputation that the government itself uh, uh, accorded them official recognition, um, which you don't find too often, which is kind of interesting. So, he must have been a shtadi guy, he must have dressed well, he must have had a presence, and he must have had a reputation for unbelievable honesty and probity. You know what I mean? Notice, he must have been a very impressive individual to attain this level of uh, uh, prestige among the guy. Now, in the case of the Rivas, uh, I wish I had the time to go through all these cases. He's got so many interests. That's why I can from the history point of view, if you just read the Chalas and the Rebush, they're extremely interesting what Spanish life is like, Aragon and Castile. And he gets Chalas from all over the world, frankly, what it was like in the uh, 14th century, uh, all, the, all the ups and downs. He's got his Avi Weiss, guys. There was a guy, Golly Papa, that him and him were arguing over whether he should be too lenient or not on Shabbos. But as I say, I'm going to restrain myself. Everything was going okay until it didn't. In 1391, so in other words, when he was in his sixties, uh, because he was born 1326, in 1391, unexpectedly, um, a riot against the Jews broke out in the Kingdom of Castile, and then little by little, it spread like wildfire, spontaneously, all across Castile, and then it crossed over into Aragon, and it wasn't the government, it wasn't the Catholic Church, uh, you know, it wasn't organized. It was from the bottom up. And basically, the Christians in Spain said, to hell with this, you've been here too long. You Jews, you've been here for centuries. we put up with this enough. How long are you going to stay not Christian? Either you convert now or we kill you. Mom's like that. We, we, we've given up being patient. Now, it wasn't up to the mob. It's up to the king. It's up to the duke, It's up to the church. No, the mob said it's up to us. And so, if you're Jewish, you all over Spain you were assaulted. And people jumped you. And they put a knife to your throat. Or who knows what they did. And they basically said, we'll kill you if you don't convert now. And as a result, 50% of the Jews have been converted. It's a famous uh, difficult period uh, in, in Jewish history, and it happened. Uh, there's a lot to talk about on that, but I, I, I'm only going to say that the Rivas is one of the main players in this story because some of his kids were killed by the mobs, and he had a crazy situation where one sibling would convert under duress and the <laughs> other sibling didn't, and the uh, husband and wife, you know, the husband was converted, the wife didn't. It just made an unbelievable horror in Jewish life. This is called Kufnan Aleph, 1391. El Kano, the, the god of vengeance. And it hit everywhere in a big way. Just to give you one example, Barcelona, this big, large Jewish community, with, with this elite and that elite and all the rest of it, was wiped out, down to the last man. What do I mean? Anybody who didn't convert was killed. rover, the Jews converted, and they were forced to stay converted. And that's the end of it. There's no jewelry in Barcelona after 1391. Meaning there's no practicing Jews in Barcelona. And you had that in place after place all over the country. Now I repeat, the king was not necessarily in favor of this. He wasn't. And the uh, the bishops and all that didn't do it. But it happened. And uh, eventually hit Valencia where the rebush was in 1391. As a matter of fact, in the nine days of all things in July. And here we have a very controversial episode because a number of a number of years ago, a historian I he might be Jewish. His name is Riera or something like that. So it seems to me that he's not Jewish and is Catalonian, a Spaniard. But I, I, but he published in Hebrew an article in which he um, some guy doing a dissertation and being Catalonian, he can read all the records and all the rest of it. And to make a long story short, he found records from the church and from people. Uh, the, the the king's brother writing to the king, 1391 that the Jews in Valencia all converted, led by their rabbi, Isaac, which sounds like the Rebus converted uh, to Christianity. And uh, which You know what? You tell me a reason was Gishmar. Uh, and it uh, gives uh, rough details. Uh, it seems like they didn't even want to, and then they bring false witnesses against them, that he committed some kind of a sexual crime, something like that, and they were going to burn him at the stake. And before that, they're going to whip him in all the uh, squares. That's what the record, the, the document says. And uh, and then they would kill the Jews. Uh, and, so, and, and by the time it's all over, the, the document says this rabbi uh, converted, became a, a member of the Dominican monks, and, and all the rest. Now he has a new name, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I I'll tell you the truth. I found out that this is published, I think, twenty years ago, something like that. Maybe more, maybe thirty years ago. I never heard about it. Uh, a few years ago, I read the new academic biography of Chazdei Kreskis by Professor Harvey, uh, Warren Zev Harvey, who's the, who I know well, he's a very nice person. And he was the uh, the uh, professor at Hebrew University of, uh, of medieval Jewish history, medieval Jewish philosophy, excuse me. So he is the world's bucky in all the Jewish philosophy. I mean, the Myrna the Chazdei Kreskis, he's Mr. Chazdei Kreskis and Duralbag and all that sort of thing. And so here's somebody who spent all of his life in this Tukufa. And he published an academic biography, not a long one, of Ahazel Kreskes. And I'm reading, reading, and he said, yeah, Kreskes was a, a, a friend of the Ron, and the Rebbe of the Rivash, and this and that, or, 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 or a friend of the Rivash. And the Rivash converted. I said, what? This is crazy. And, uh, and and I don't want to tell anybody about and, uh, and I didn't think it's true. And by the way, it doesn't say it explicitly. Uh, and I didn't know where the article was. Because it was some kind of uh, a journal. I, I just wasn't sure where the article was. About two years ago, maybe three years ago, I was in Shopsies in the bookstore. And I saw a guy, some from me in Israel, published a biography of the Revush And I bought it. And his name is Rabdavi Bar says this Friday. And probably claims, uh, ancestry. It might be from, from the, from the Rebo, she'd say, where she? So, in other words, a Safari guy now, nowadays. I mean, really, the, the book's published uh, in, it looks like 2016. And, uh, you know, a front biography. And it's not bad either. You know, it's not bad. And to my surprise, he had a whole chapter in which he said, yeah, we know about this charge that he converted, and here's how we explain it, and so on and so forth. And he was very fair, very uh, professional. And uh, now I looked on the uh, English uh, internet. And they have a whole thing about it. And uh, I said, let me put it this way. It doesn't say the words it's converted. I just want to be clear about it. It's not the kind of clear thing you've been looking for. It kind of seems to be heading in that direction but there's no smoking gun that says Befairish like this. On the other hand, what, the docu- what, what, what seems to be indicated, let, let, let me put it this way. Let's say it's true. I'm not saying it's true. Might be, might not, but, uh, but there, there seems to be uh, evidence of this. Uh, and if it's true, it's clear that he converted under duress because they were going to kill everybody else in his community if he didn't. You know, something like that. So there's a whole sogyal called Yardwil Yavor, I know very well, and so does Rebush, and he has uh, things to say about it. And this, if there ever was a Shazesh 1391 was a Shazesh Mad, my man, uh, that's like a, uh, the classic Shazesh so, uh, one thinks that Yargval Yavar, but, uh, nevertheless, what clearly happened was, well, I shouldn't say clearly, none of this is clear. What happened is that within a year or so, he escaped, as many did, uh, from Valencia, and he ran away, as many did, to Algeria. That's what the Jews of 1391 who wanted to escape, uh, Shmad, uh, had to do. Uh, if you wanted to get away from the mobs and all the rest of it, or if you converted under duress and you want to come, at, come back to Judaism, you had to run away to another country, in this case a Muslim country. Because from the point of view, the Muslims, they don't care if you're... As long as you're not Muslim, they couldn't care which non-Muslim it is. Today you're Jewish, tomorrow you're Christian. Tomorrow you're Christian, today you're Jewish. Ten them, it's all the same. So, Lamaisa, you can go back to being Jewish. And uh, Algeria is not exactly across from Spain, uh, but it's kind of across from uh, uh, Catalonia. From Aragon, sort of. If you look at the map, having said journey, it's not that far away. And that is the origins of the Algerian Jewish community that I spoke about a month or two ago when I did Saspertas, these 1391 people. And the most famous of them was uh, Yitzhak Arshatius, that's for sure. He ran away to uh, Algeria. Here he had a community that was now growing all the time uh, from these refugees. He had the locals who were not Spanish Jews, and now all this new Spartan come in. Spartan say, we're taking over, we're the in, we now learn better than you, we're richer than you, and what's really interesting is, the same dog on business you had in Barcelona, reappears in the, uh, what's called, refugee community in, in Algiers. Some richy-riches, they wanted to be the gosh elite, they went to the Muslim ruler, and they say, give me the power, I should have the power, and they started acting like the American Jews in World War II, meaning they would not allow, uh, what shall I say, refugees... To come in to Algeria, running away from Spain. They say, We got enough Jews over here, we don't make anti Semitism. Go somewhere else. Can you imagine what I just said? They themselves are refugees, and now they're sticking it to other Jewish refugees running away from persecution in Spain. The Revush was of course opposed to this, and the rabbi tried to get the Rivash in trouble, so he ended up in, 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 in jail again, this time a Muslim jail. And he was like close to eighty, okay? And uh, fortunately, one rich guy in town was a from me. He was rich, but for me, and he got to the Muslim king, and he said, these guys are full of it. This guy here is the real thing. And because he had influence with the Muslim ruler of Algeria, so the Muslim, I'll call him a king, the Muslim king appointed the rivash, like in his old age. I tell you again, he must have made quite an impression on people. Appointed him to be supreme Dayan and chief rabbi of the Jews of Algiers, like Yosef in Egypt. Nobody moves without you saying so. So any rich guy that makes a move against them will kill him. No, he made him like, if he wants to be, he can be like dictator of the Jews in um, in Algiers. And that's just interesting. Now, being who he was, he did not take advantage of this. You understand? He always conducted himself 100% above board. And so you end up with the last years of his life. Well, I don't know about the last years of his life. He came there in 1392, I think, and he died in 1408. So he was there, eh, good... 15, 16 years. So this is somebody who spends his 60s and 70s in, in, into early 80s into in, in Algiers. And that's where he published his. He uh, collected all of his sh- shalas and shuvahs. And he was the God of uh, What's interesting is that he was criticized by another big rabbi, uh, Tashvitz. This is very famous, what I'm telling you. Um, Tzemek Duran, who also was a refugee from the persecutions uh, and he said, I'm opposed to anybody who's a rabbi because the Muslims appointed you as a rabbi. That's a tricky business. Throughout Jewish history, you've had situations where Rabbanim, it depends where and when, of course, were given great powers by the Galatian rulers. It happened in Spain all the time. So I don't know where the attachments is coming from. Uh, and then somebody dissed the Tashbits by saying, uh, How's it go? You take a salary. You know, he, he's a real Maimonidean. The re-watch. he didn't take a salary for being rabbi. And the Tashas had to defend themselves. These are all classic things on the question of whether rabbis have a salary or not. And, uh, and that's who the, so, so the Revash spent the rest of his life in these communities. He is famous for issuing many, um, precedent setting rulings. I think I mentioned to you once the other day, now you understand the background. Uh, he, for example, and I'll just give you one, because at times, like, uh, there was a guy and a girl, and in spain and they were both converted by the mobs and they married each other in a catholic ceremony with a catholic priest but it turns out that it was a church but the priest was jewish and all the and and all the guests were jewish meaning they were christians but they're born jewish and then they split up and the girl ran away and the guy wanted to stay No, he 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 felt comfortable with his christian identity and she was a jewish jew and she ran away and now she's an adrona you know what i mean because the guy's not gonna give her no get and what do you do famous case, and this was handed over to the Rivas in in Algiers, you can understand the person I just described, especially if it's true that he himself was forcibly converted. He totally understands the milieu, the duress that the people felt, the anguish, the family split ups, the human tragedies, you know, like after the show or something like that. And therefore he famously gave his sock that the girl can get married again. He went out again because since the first wedding was in a Catholic style, the Jewish... Religion doesn't recognize that. I had Bia, and that counts as a a form of Kedushin, but it's only when you have Das that the Bia should be the Maitha Kedushin. But if you have the Das, that the uh, Catholic ceremony is the thing that established the marriage, and all the uh, personal relations between husband and wife later on were based on that, then everything was based on something that Jewish tradition doesn't recognize. Bottom line is, move on, honey, and you can get married. uh, Because she was like 20, 21, something like that. That's one example of many that uh, he issued these precedent uh, I- I- issuing rulings. Let me say this before I conclude. The Rivas is not simply an interesting person. I would say that the the responsa literature the Shalas and Shubhas, uh, probably 900 or 1,000 of them altogether. That's a guess on my part. There's no, you know, over the centuries. There's no question that the Shalas and Shubhas of the Rivas are in the top 10 or top 20. There's no question about it. And the Shulchan Aruch, based in a lot of his halachas from the Chubas Rivosh, and many, many others do. Uh, he's held in the very highest, uh, esteem and veneration, uh, with very much in the Lomdas and all that. And, uh, when I was young, yeshiva, somebody tried to issue like an updated form of the Shita mugubetzes. It never got off the ground. I forget what it was called. You know, like in Chubas or almost one of those mesartes, in which he tried to bring in these type of people, a lot of it was the Rivosh, and the Tashbits and the, you know, the Marival, and all this, on the Suge, in the format of a Shittim Uh That's who the Revush was. Uh, so, in practical terms, there are English books on this. Um, he's not an unknown person. There was a conservative rabbi who wrote a biography, and it's kind of boring back in the 30s or 40s, whatever. Um, but this new guy, uh, if you can read Hebrew, Dov uh, uh it's actually uh rather well written and uh you can go online or whatever it, it, like i say it's not necessarily a household word but he talked it deserves to be a household word in my opinion and uh his grave became a pilgrimage site and when there were jews in algeria which there were until the arabs got their independence and they either killed or kicked all the jews out they ran away to france no jews in algeria today uh this is a famous pilgrimage site, and he was considered the God all over, and that's who went to Davin. And, and I totally get it. You know what I'm he was a, certainly a Tadic, uh, from everything that we described, and he suffered along with the fellow Jews, the, the fellow of name. So you see, to be Sephardic is just not enough of a description. Is it Castile? Is it Aragon? we talk about this century, that century. You're talking about the times of the persecutions, or the times were good. And you're talking about from the firm elite or from the non firm elite. Spain was a, a very complicated, fascinating very complicated um, reality in the Middle Ages. But look, you had rabbis at that time whose personal probity was so high and its reputation for scholarship and honesty was so high that the secular government was willing to entrust them uh, with judicial authority. Uh, that's called a Kedosh Hashem. That's enough for now.